This is The Lydia Project, conversations with Christian women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Tori Walker. Welcome to the third in our virtual book club series of conversations about books that we are reading. Taryn. It's lovely to have you here as my guest, <laughs> and it's lovely for me to be your guest. I think we're genuinely co-hosts on this episode, aren't Absolutely. we? Excellent. Absolutely. This is going to be fun. It's the first time we've ever done this, and so we've discussed books just generally before, but not for the podcast, so see how we go. Absolutely. So, Tori is the one who chose this book, so I'm going to kick off by asking Tori to answer the question, um, yeah, why did you choose this book? Actually, I'll put them together. Why did you choose this book? And can you tell us a little bit more about it as well? Yeah, sure. So when I was looking at books that I wanted to read and the book club was obviously a little bit of a motivation for me personally, I felt like if I commit publicly to reading these books, then that'll help me. I definitely wanted to have a broad diet. I didn't want to be eating all entrees or all desserts. And so I was keen to have a book on Christian living and a book that helped me um, praise God more and a book that helped me um, you know evangelize to my friends and so there was that that kind of broad diet of books and this one definitely fell into the category of um, helping me to praise God for his attributes and possibly a book that was more directly focused on God although it is also very practical isn't it Mm, absolutely Um, and then the reason why I chose this book is because I was given it a few years ago and I started reading it And it was really good, but after about three chapters, I really felt like I was doing myself a disservice and that I needed to go back and read it properly, take notes, look up the Bible passages and do the reflection questions. But it was that step that stopped me. Mm. It always felt like, oh, that's a bit of a burden. It's a bit bit of a bridge too far to kind of slow down and seriously do that. I'm a bit embarrassed saying that, but it was the truth. It was just a bridge too far for me. And so it just sat on the shelf and I didn't really read heaps of Christian books but I did read some other ones but then when I was committed to reading it for the Lydia Project um, podcast it was a motivation to read it properly so that's why this book also I did know that Jen Wilkins was you know a respected author and I was keen to read it and so and also I wanted to I didn't want them all to be new books I was happy to say sure it's a few years old but it's still a good book to read yeah actually I really appreciate that because very often it's the new books that get highlighted and some of the gems of the past. And nowadays, the past is, what, two years ago, as opposed to books from 20 or 30 years ago. They're probably also of great value that we don't see. So that may be something for the future. Absolutely. Actually, so it did remind me of um, this book in particular, actually reminded me of a little book by um, J.I. Packer called Concise Theology. Ah. And I thought that would be a good one to reread, one of those Yes. Classics. Well, it's not really a classic, but it is a really good book from a couple yeah. of decades ago. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. That's fabulous. And I'm glad you did because I had the same experience with this book. 
having started it and reading it and just kind of just reading it through without taking any specific notes and also feeling that sense of, ah, I'm not getting as much out of this as I, I could if I put some, some more time and effort into it. So thank you, Tori. Oh, you're <laughs> welcome. So how was your experience then reading it? Like, how did you get over that hump? How did you make the time? How did you sort of fit it into your lifestyle? Oh, that's a good question. So um, it really, really helps take notes. I've, I tend to write in my books. <laughs> And um, so I did that. I will not tell my husband that. Does he not like that? Not like it. And I'm, a, I'm, I don't even know. I think we might lose half our audience if I confess to something here. <laughs> if it wasn't for my husband, I'd also be a page folder. <gasps> I know. Tally. I know. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I don't do it now. I use all these little bookmarks that um, Ethan's made for me. <laughs> I would be a page turner as well as. Yeah, it's funny how right. we adjust to our partners because Craig doesn't like to open books beyond a certain you know distance. He doesn't want to crack the the spine, whereas I just put it down like that and oh, yeah. try some nuts. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, and I t- do tend to write in my books because I really enjoy coming back to them and seeing the notes that I had. So I could write it in a notebook, and I have a friend who does do that in some of hers. But I do find great value in, in having what popped out of me that first time I read it. Of course, I bet it presumes I'm going to read it again. And I do sometimes, not all the time. Yeah, so that's really, really helped. And then for the sake of this discussion, I've transcribed a lot of those thoughts. And that was really, really helpful because it revisited the things that had jumped out at me and just helped me think about it more. And then she's got the discussion questions, and that was helpful. I didn't do all of them, uh, but, yeah, those those were really helpful. And I think when I do do them, I get a lot more out of the book as well. And in terms of where and when, I didn't have a, I didn't set aside any specific time of day initially. But my kids and I have been spending time in the mornings reading. I get them to read, and they take turns playing the piano. But we all in one space, so I've been using that time. And then when I'm waiting for the kids for sports in the car that's when I've been getting some good reading in and that's been good it's interesting that you mentioned this chat because when I was reading it again at the beginning as I was reading I had in mind this podcast chat and it was almost a little bit of a distraction actually yeah because I'm reading a book that's focusing on God's character and and my response to that and I'm thinking about what I'm going to say rather than the work that God's doing in me but I must admit that did um that did kind of dissipate, which was really good. Um, I actually ended up doing it uh, for my quiet times, actually, oh, for the last sort yeah. of three or four weeks, and it was nice to have. I don't know. It just um, it just was something different, and it felt like a bit of a treat. And I sort of broke it up. Oh, I feel like I kind of need to, ex- to describe the book first before yeah, I say so how I read it. So, the book is basically looking at ten attributes of God his communicable attributes and she explains this super simply and this is something I love about the book it's like Jen is a theological lecturer who's your friend having Mm. a coffee with you just telling you what she's learned that day it's lovely so she talks about how God has incommunicable attributes so they're attributes that do not communicate over to us things like he is all-powerful and all-knowing they are things that we are not meant to imitate Mm. and we can't anyway but then she, what, what she's doing in this book is focusing on 10 of his communicable attributes. So things like God is faithful, he is truthful, he is merciful, and looks at each of those 
qualities in a chapter and then looks at what it would look like for us to imitate those qualities. Each chapter is really similar in, in its structure, obviously content very different, and I found that helpful. So each chapter is focused on one quality, how we can imitate it, Bible verses for meditation, sort of five or ten Bible verses, uh, four or five meditation questions, and then a suggestion for prayer. Every chapter. And even some of the questions are actually pretty much the same, aren't they? Yeah. It took me yeah. about seven chapters before <laughs> I realised, hey, that last question is always the same. <laughs> um, anyway, so the way I did it for my quiet times was obviously very loose, but basically one day I would read the chapter one day I would look up all the Bible verses and write them all out. And then the next day I would meditate on the questions and pray. And then day four I'd go on to the next okay. chapter. So I found that it yeah. was easy to break up and it was just an easy way to fit reading a book yeah. into my life. I love that you broke it up like that because over those three days you get real consolidation which if you'd aim to do the whole chapter and the meditation questions and the Bible verses in one day and moved on, it would have been quite quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And probably sort of too much because I sort of have my quiet time often sort of as I'm sitting at the table having brekkie. So it was mm. just easy to kind of do that yeah. in that time. Yeah. Yeah, What do you, I mean, we, we mentioned Jen, the author. What do you know about Jen and her other writings? Yeah, so she is an author and a Bible teacher. <laughs> And she's got a background in women's ministry. I've heard her talk a few times and I've really appreciated her ability to communicate very clearly. She's written a number of different books and as, as you said just now, she communicates like a friend, but really big theological truths, which is just fabulous. I really enjoy that. One of her books that I have read already is Women of the Word. And it teaches us how to read the Bible and in a sense, exegete the Bible on our own gives you all the background as to why you might want to do that and a whole bunch of reading the Bible tools. And there's no sense of this is the right way to do it or this is the wrong way to do it. There, you know, There's nuances within that that she explains quite clearly. And she just gives you these broad tools and then gives you an opportunity to kind of practice those with um, passages in the Bible. And, um, and that you can do as well in a, in a growth group or with one-to-one or on your own. So I think it's really well worth reading. And There's a companion book to this book, isn't there? So yes. this image is looking at 10 of God's communicable attributes and then None, none like, like Him is looking at 10 of his, of his qualities that are not communicable. Yeah. I haven't read that, but I'm guessing it would be yeah. also really good. Yeah. Uh, Ten Ways God is Different from Us and Why That's a Good Thing is the subtitle of the book None Like Him. So I have that as well. I have not read it yet. So that should be next. Next on my list. Now, um, just, just when we were talking about Jen, I mean, she does have a focus on writing for women. Yes. And I wanted to ask you the question, you know, it's it's got a pretty cover. It's written by a female. <laughs> Do you think there's anything distinctly female about the contents of the book? No. <laughs> Is there I mean, sometimes uh, examples are specifically female, um, but in terms of the main message and how she communicates that, it applies to men and women. So I think a man could read this quite easily and get um, as much out of it. 
Yeah, but examples often do draw on things that are specific to women. Um, so I suppose in that sense, yes, I might be missing something. What about you? What do you think? Well, it was interesting. As I was even thinking about the question, I was wondering if the space that she's occupying with this book and having it published the way it is, it it is perhaps a tiny bit more accessible for female readers as in not in actuality but more in perception. Mm. We feel like it won't be as intimidating maybe. I don't, I don't know really but I appreciated that it was a woman talking about God. I appreciated that it felt like she was my Christian sister explaining something to me in a way that I found clear warm concise and helpful and I'm sure there's many men that do that as well but I think she has a great way of doing it and I think there are benefits to the fact that she is a woman writing for women Mm. I probably can't quite put my finger on it but I think it's almost the fact that she is yes absolutely yeah yeah that accessibility thing that you're talking about I think is is so key yeah and in some ways in this book she's asking a really big and really practical question. In the introduction, she says a lot of people, a lot of Christians get concerned thinking, what should I do in this situation? But she wants to turn our gaze upon not that question, but who should I be? Be, yes. Which is a really big, all-encompassing question, isn't it? Yeah. But to answer it by looking at God and his attributes. Yes, that that I found particularly helpful. And that's right in the beginning when she speaks about Mm who we should be. Um, mm. It actually, it reminded me of an analogy that, that I've always found quite helpful. I might have mentioned it here before. I might even mention it to you that we are holy, therefore be holy. Have you heard the royalty analogy? For somebody who is not a royal, but then marries into a royal family, they are now royal. They're, they're part of that family. But does that mean that they know how to act in a royal way or be royal? Well, you know, they learn those things and they do so ideally because they're appreciative of the fact that they are royal and it's part of who they are. And so they can be who they are, but it doesn't take away from the fact that they are who they are, if that makes sense, because, you know, they they, they, they have been adopted into this family and uh, they are royal. And so it's just a matter now of being who they are. Yeah, so just that assurance thing. I think the royalty analogy I've heard more um, in the context of assurance of who we are. Um, and I just think it's quite quite helpful. Um, so, yeah, be who we are. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. And I'm hearing that analogy and I'm trying not to get distracted by all of the London royal guys. Yes, I'm thinking I, of Mary. She's a good royal. Yeah, oh, and uh, dear old um, Kate, you know, Kate Middleton. Hmm. Um we, we won't speak much of about Megan. <laughs> we'll move on. Yeah, let's so, move on. So what did you think of the book then? Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I um, wow, I wrote a lot of notes. <laughs> a lot of things I did find that I had already, you, know, you have a grasp on, you know, talking about like under the chapter two of God being loving and, and discussing the different kinds of love and the agape love and how that is is godly love is very different to the kinds of loves that we might um, gravitate towards. Um, but then even as she was unpacking that, there was just these little nuggets of truth that I suppose I know, but just fleshed them out or revisited in ways that I haven't thought about for a while. 
Oh, I remember chapter eight about patience. I think as a mum, that's the chapter that really comes back to, you know, it really resonates deeply, both in how patient God is with us. It just is so aware of the fact that we mess up daily. And yet God loves us and he is so patient with us. Um, He is slow to anger. And she says that God's patience grows in beauty when it's framed by his omniscience. The slow anger of God is miraculous and extreme, considering that he knows and daily witnesses every anger-inducing thing about us. So it's not even just what we do. It's he knows our hearts. (laughs) He's got plenty of reason to be impatient. And yet he is not, and how beautiful that is. And then the other thing that really resonated with me she says this we think marriage will give us bliss at a negligible cost we think parenting will give our lives deep meaning at no expense we think ministry or work will give us purpose without requiring much in return and then she goes on to say we are surprised when our trial does not resolve in a timely manner after a round of faithful prayer and fasting we may overlook the possibility that the waiting itself could be the good and perfect gift delivered right to our doorstep how true is that and I really feel it as a mum and I, this is a story I tell <laughs> regularly so again I might have said it here that really came to me when my kids were little and they were just not getting it just not getting it and then I remember just wanting to yell at whichever child it was for the 1500th time just not getting this thing and then being aware that God is so patient with us and actually this experience I'm having is the good and perfect gift and while they are going to learn these things in time right now I can learn to be patient I get to practice being patient with this child it's my opportunity for sanctification actually just as much as it is is theirs but instead of me focused on the result coming from them the focus can be the result coming from me and being patient and disciplining them appropriately and not completely losing the plot (laughs) and yeah yeah, so that that was a good one i really enjoyed that i love that chapter too i found it really helpful i'm not naturally gifted with patience either and so i love the way she encouraged us to be patient like god and even just the simple highlighting of jesus patience and thinking wow yeah every day he would have had to display a lot of patience (laughs) Or be, you know, show a lot of patience to the people around him. Um, I did have a question about the patience chapter, though. She really framed it in terms of slow to anger Mm. for God's patience with us, but then also our patience. But I don't know if that's a product of these chapters just being quite concise Mm. and not being able to cover everything. But personally, I'm not tempted to anger when I'm impatient. And so I wasn't able to really connect with that. And I wondered, well, is frustration a different form of anger? Hmm. Like when I'm impatient, I'm likely to go, oh, come on, hurry up. You know, like and just get impatient. But I don't I don't think I feel angry. Yeah, no, I I, I definitely I definitely do get angry and I think and I've read this in other places that's very much an outworking of our selfishness so my anger if I look beneath it's really what I'm saying is you are inconveniencing me right now mm. Mm. Um, I Tori maybe maybe you are more patient than you realize 
Maybe, but I'm not <laughs> sure about that. I wouldn't give myself that easy out <laughs> too quickly. Well, I'm just wondering, you know, it, what is the product of being impatient? Is it always anger or are there yeah. other, you know, ungodly endpoints yeah. for that? I think this impatience. is a wonderful thing for people to think about. I would love to hear what our listeners have to say about that because here yeah, you and I have different experiences of that. I can't imagine impatience in its worst case being anything but anger because that's where I go quite naturally. Um, but, yeah, I'd love to know how other people manifest impatience in mm. their lives. Mm. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll put something on the Facebook chat and see if anyone yeah, responds to that one. Did you find anything else in terms of was a chapter that you maybe didn't like as much or felt could have been fleshed out a bit more? Um, on the whole, I found the chapters really helpful, I have mm. to say. I found them, yeah, as I was saying before, concise and and helpful just to slow down. I mean, when do you spend 20 minutes thinking about God's justice? Just mm. thinking about it, reading about it, thinking about it. I just found that a really helpful experience for me. And I especially liked that then when I went to look at the Bible verses, so many of them were from the Psalms because these attributes are praiseworthy. Mm. And the Israelites were inspired to praise God for these attributes. And I really appreciated joining in with mm. that and praising God for those attributes. So, I, yeah, I found that helpful. Some of the questions not so helpful, and I think that might be a personal thing. Like not everybody is going to resonate with every question. I found the last question really hard. Most of the time I didn't do it. I think the last question was the same every time, and it was um, how should a desire to grow in truthfulness or whatever the quality is, impact our relationship with God positively? How should it impact our relationship with others positively? I mean, I suppose I could answer that generally, mm. but I probably found it a bit hard. Maybe I'd find it easier if I was in a group or if I was discussing it out loud because that's just the way my brain yeah, makes yeah. those connections a bit more. But there'd be people who probably would shudder at the idea of doing that and would much yes. rather do it personally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for the truth one, yeah, I can see it even as we're talking, yeah, well, if I'm desiring to be truthful, perhaps my prayers will be more honest to God or mm. people will oh, trust me if I'm obviously more truthful in my words. I yeah. guess I can think of one. Maybe I just was you a bit lazy. You need to verbally process. I, I have a verbal um, process. You need to. <laughs> Complete yeah. verbal process. I actually found Chapter 3 on God's goodness compared to i found the others really really robust and um you know just really clear around the topic but i found the goodness one a bit thin it it kind of felt a bit shoehorned in in order to pad out the concept of god's goodness because i felt like the examples that were given could quite easily apply to pretty much all the other attributes so i did feel like maybe there could have been more systematic unpacking of what god's goodness looks like i would have no idea how she would do that very easy to critique not so easy to write but for me that was the only real drawback um, out of the whole book was that one chapter just felt a bit thin mm. look it. i only had one tiny little kind of oh i'm not sure about that and it was just one question it was in the justice chapter question four i kind of went whoa that's that's a little bit too much and maybe it, I had that experience of being worried for other people you know oh, thinking okay, of people yeah. that I've been in groups with before who'd feel guilty about a question like that so justice was chapter four I think 
and question four was who needs you to do justice for them list several specific people or groups in your community and brainstorm specific actions you can take this week to extend help to them oh i felt like wow that that's a big question mm. it's a good question but i felt like there needed to be a little bit more as you have the capacity yes yes because i wouldn't want you know someone feeling someone with three young kids at home feeling like I'm just holding it together and I'm mm. reading this book and now I've got to go out and do justice yeah. for the marginalised in my community. It is a good thing to think about. Yeah. But yeah. I just felt like it needed a little bit of couching. I don't know. And on, on the other end of that spectrum, the danger is that you will be out there looking for a project. You know, you, you come at it from a people are a project, I need to do this thing, tick that box, as opposed to actually... How do we engage with people who need justice in a way that isn't about me doing the right thing, but about me actually caring? Absolutely. Yeah. But even as I hear us saying this, I'm thinking, oh, look, it is a good question. We it do is. need to be encouraged yeah. to think about yeah. being people who are actively seeking justice, not for ourselves and our families only, but for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So who do you think this book would be good for, Taryn? Well, I mean, Tori, you have a theological degree and you found this pretty good. I did. Um, I did not have a theological degree and I found this pretty good. I have a friend who classifies herself as a, as a, a baby Christian or new Christian, although she's, she's, she reads a lot and she's consumed a lot and she has grown a lot. Um, and she really, really enjoyed this book. Um, she felt quite challenged by it. She really said she really enjoyed the last chapter particularly on God's wisdom and and what he gives to us in terms of his wisdom, really challenged her about who she places herself under in terms of teaching. You know, the, the Bible's been given to all of us, and so we need to ask, and God will reveal what it is in his word to us. Interestingly, it made her think, oh, well, then who do I put myself under? I need to be quite careful about the teachers that I seek out, which was an interesting, an interesting application of, of that chapter. So, you know, people from different backgrounds, different theological understandings will get a lot out of this. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's my thought. What about you? Yeah, I agree. And it also struck me that it would be a good book to, uh, to read alongside someone. Like if yes. you're meeting one-to-one -to, -one to read the Bible for a term or whatever, you could read this book and it would, yeah. would be helpful. Um, or even a Bible study group, actually. I was thinking I'm sure there's a way that you could mm. do that. I don't think it would be helpful to always be looking at books in a yeah. Bible study group, obviously, but as part of your diet, absolutely, yeah, really helpful. And, yeah, we are book club on a podcast to do so in a physical book club. Mm. A big shout-out mm. right now to my old book club back in South Africa, a bunch of young girls who are reading book together like this. And so, I, ladies, <laughs> I recommend In His Image by Jen Wilkin. It's really well worth reading and you'll get through it. It's easy to read. No scrambling to get the chapter finished in time for book club. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. They're quite achievable, aren't they? Yeah. I've actually decided this book's a keeper. I'm going to pop it on the shelf because I am sure that when I come back to it in three years' time or five years' time, I'll get a lot mm -hmm. out of it. Yeah, but you won't have your notes <laughs> inside. <laughs> <laughs> I will not. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. What about anything else, Tori? Um Anything specific that she said that jumped out at you that you feel is worth chatting about? 
I found the question in um, chapter 7 in faithfulness, there was a question, how have you found God's faithfulness to you in temptation? I just found it was a lovely way of thinking about God's faithfulness to us, not in the sunrise postcard kind of, Mm. oh, God is so faithful because he answered that prayer and, you know, it's a beautiful thing that you can share at a women's breakfast, for example, in your testimony, but actually more the sort of nitty-gritty, wow, thinking back and thinking, in those tough times, I, I have prayed and God has answered me. Like, if he has helped me in that he has been faithful to me and kept me from wandering into temptation, wandering into sin. And I actually found that a really helpful question personally. It's sort of a strange question. I don't think Mm. I've ever really been asked that or asked anybody that in those words or sort of putting those two together. Mm. But to reflect back on God's faithfulness to me in times of temptation, I think is a really beautiful thing to do. So I actually really appreciated that question. And I wonder also, just to extrapolate on that a little bit, how God is faithful in allowing us those times of temptation because they do test us and they do help us to grow. If we never had temptation, how would we ever be able to say that we're grown or we've been able to exercise those spiritual muscles or thank God for his faithfulness in temptation if we haven't experienced that? Um and something else Jen says in that chapter, which I thought was good, is in terms of um, practical application of us thinking about these things when we are facing temptation and wanting to grow spiritually. She said, if we habitually flee from the temptation to commit minor sins of anger and selfishness, we are less likely to fall for temptation to greater sins of anger and selfishness. And so God's faithfulness in allowing us those smaller moments, those things that are more easily overcomeable is is actually it's his faithfulness and it's it's the easy things the things where god has cleared our way and answered the prayers the way we want him to answer them that we go oh god is so good he's so faithful but actually those hard times are his faithfulness too Mm. and i was quite challenged by that Mm. Yeah. yeah was there anything else that you wanted to share before we wrap it up um Oh, yeah, yeah. So the chapter on truth, there was lots in that that really jumped out at me and really just made me think quite deeply. Uh, So God being truth, he is the origin of truth. He is the determiner of truth. He defines as true. What he defines as true is eternally true and changingly true. Uh, Because he is truth, all of his actions reveal truth and all his words declare it. As the fullness of truth itself, God is incapable of lying, though sometimes our limited perception may cause us to doubt that this is the case. And that made me think, yeah, that's true, we do that, because we want things to be a certain way, and we don't understand why God does what he does sometimes. And then she goes on to unpack the the definition of truth a little bit, because we do live in a time where many would say truth is relative. And so she says, truth is anything that conforms to reality. So when we acknowledge God is truthful, we are doing more than affirming that he's honest. We're affirming that he defines reality. He is a source and possessor of all knowledge. He cannot be less than truthful. Moral relativism, that idea that what's right for you may not be right for me, is a product of finite minds. And I went, oh, how true is that? We have finite minds. We, are, we do not know the mind of God. We do not know the mind of others. 
and yet we in our arrogance say oh what's right for you might not be right for me and then let that dictate how we live and we are living in a world where the outworking of that is so obvious left right and center to the point where countries are falling apart because of that kind of thinking yeah she says we are to live the truth not our truth the problem with living my truth is that my truth is a lie so very true so where do we need to go to for the truth we have to go to go to god and and where is that in his word brilliant well that's what we thought of the book um if you've read it we would love to know what you thought of the book so we will pop a little facebook post about this book and please tell us what you think about patience or whether it always does lead to anger or impatience sorry whether that always leads to anger and what else you thought about the book what chapters you liked and if you haven't read the book we would hardly recommend it we think it was a great one so we encourage you to go over to the wandering bookseller and you can get it for 15 percent discount if that's where you choose to buy it yeah or borrow a copy from a friend yep absolutely yeah. i think it's one of those ones that makes a wonderful gift so if you buy buy it for yourself and you follow Tori's rules and you can read it and even pass it on. I, I, I love to receive what do you books. follow my rules? About not writing in them. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I do love to receive books that other people have read and uh, gifted to me. Like I've read this already, but I think you would really like it. So yeah. that I think is just a wonderful way to love somebody. So you can do that. It doesn't have to be brand new, never cracked open to be a gift. So yeah. And Taryn, what's our next book on the Lydia Project virtual book club it is called growing together by melissa b kruger and it's a book on um one-to-one bible reading and uh, ministry together with with women in particular uh, how to read the bible together and how to spend that time praying together and what that can look like so one-to-one ministry um specifically for women and have you read this one i have um i I have not finished it, but I've read most of it, and it is it really is very, very good. Um, when I say I've read it, I read it about nine months ago, so I do need to revisit it for, um, for next month. Excellent. I look forward to reading it. Yeah. I haven't started, so I better get on to it. Better get cracking. <laughs> better be cracking. Melissa Kruger, she's um, in the same kind of, uh, I guess, similar circles to Jen Wilkin, uh, also very clear She's often on the Gospel Coalition in America, and she actually runs a podcast alongside Jackie Hill Perry and another woman whose name is also escaping me, and it's called Let's Talk, and they just discuss um, just things that we encounter as Christian women um, and talk about it from a biblical perspective. It's another good podcast to listen to. Brilliant. All right. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper, and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary.